to the Leadership Pulse, Healthcare Culture's New Heartbeat, where we talk about all things healthcare leadership, culture, and burnout. I'm your co-host, Jessica. And I'm Becky Wolf, and I have the privilege of introducing our guest today. With us, we have Dr. Brady Steinek, who is a family practice physician. He grew up in Canton, Ohio, and earned his medical degree from Northeast Ohio Medical University and finished his family practice residency in Canton. Upon graduation from residency, Brady joined Community Healthcare, a primary care group in the Canton and Akron area, with 17 locations. Brady practices at the Louisville location currently, which is just east of Canton. A few years into his career, Brady was approached by a founder of Community Healthcare to secede him as the leader of the company, so Brady went back to school and earned an MBA in healthcare administration from Walsh University. He also went through an intensive leadership training program called Giant Worldwide, and it learning giant leadership principles, and which are now taught through the employees at Community Healthcare to intentionally advance the culture of the company. Brady then became the CEO in 2020. Under his leadership, Community Healthcare has grown significantly and will open its 18th and 19th locations in 2023. Brady has been married to Tiffany Steinek for 15 years, and they have five adopted children together. Brady and Tiffany are owners of Adela Medical Spa in Canton, Ohio. Brady, welcome to the podcast. Hi, good to see you both. Thanks for having me. We like to open the podcast with a question. The question we're starting with is if there is one thing you could shout from the rooftops that you want every person in healthcare to hear about culture, burnout, leadership, or medicine in general, what would that be? Wow, great question. I could say about 20 things and not just one, but boiling it down as a leader, and if there are other leadership people in leadership positions listening to this or watching, the number one thing would be to be mission-driven. And to know what your mission is, to have it written out, to know who your organization is and what you do, and to stick to it. I think that's the hardest thing in this world. It changes so fast, and in healthcare, it seems to be accelerated even above and beyond normal society. And so we always say, yeah. it, if everything else around us changes, we stay the same. Yeah, and you've been with community healthcare for quite some time. And tell us about the mission of community healthcare. Yeah, so I've, I was totally blessed to step into an organization that's already been has a very strong mission. It's one of those small town American success stories. We were founded by one doc who grew up in Kentucky on a dirt floor and was the first person in his company or in his family to go to college. Ended up in Barberton, Ohio at their residency program in the 80s. Was planning on going back to Kentucky to serve his community in his hometown, but ended up instead purchasing and moving into a practice in Canal Fulton, Ohio which is a very small town in between Akron and Canton, very rural. And within a few years, all of his, his friends started to join him. And at the time that he founded the company, the mission statement that he wrote is what we still put on the wall every day and in all of our meetings. And so basically it's the manifesto of the catchphrase these days is value-based healthcare. He was doing that before it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so a lot of the catchwords in our mission statement are that we provide comprehensive uh, high-value, innovative, compassionate, patient-centered care. And what's cool about the word, the word community and the name, really what we look at is that healthcare can really be at the heartbeat of a whole community. Putting the, a community in better health affects everything and everyone, whether you're a patient of ours or not. And so we try to have that bigger kind of vision and mission of we're, we want to make our community healthier. And and what's been really cool is that as the second leader, as the second CEO, and still here as a practicing physician, it's my job as a leader to make sure we are honed in on that true north and all the things in every decision we make needs to be about patients. Incidentally, all the bullet points on the mission statement, the last one is 
to make enough profit to stay in business. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So yeah. When you're focusing on the mission and sticking to it, how do you ensure to keep that front and center on a daily basis when yeah, profits and all of these other things? It's not that we don't want to make profit. That's always a good thing. But what has been really cool in our evolution is that we've tried to really help mold and evolve payment models to be aligned with doing the right thing for patients. Mm -hmm. And if we can get into nuts and bolts, for the longest time now, it's been what's called a fee-for-service model, where a doctor sees a patient, whether it's in a hospital or in an office or somewhere, and submits a code to an insurance company and gets paid for that visit with no regard to whether anything valuable was done for the patient. We've actually entered into several partnerships now where we aren't actually paid for those visits anymore. We're only paid on patient outcomes. And so it very much aligns when you talk about burnout and culture and people feeling like they are part of something and helping people. If doing the right thing for the patient and taking extra time or doing a home visit or making that extra phone call or doing that extra, going that extra mile may be inconvenient in the old model. In this model, not only is it the right thing to do for a patient, but we actually get compensated for that. What's great is that all of those things are aligned to do the right thing and to be mission oriented. And so as we evolve toward those kind of things, that can be a huge combatant towards burnout and the rampant dissatisfaction with people in healthcare right now. Yeah, I think about that. And I know you and I have talked about that a little bit, Brady, too, with burnout, people getting back to the identity of why they why they actually got into medicine. Our identity is a lot of time is wrapped into we really want to serve and help people. We want to help patients have those outcomes that are for them. And a lot of times it's limited by our time. It's limited by the profit first model. So since you've started as the CEO with community health care, what other things have you done in your practice to ensure that the people within it are utilized to the full scope of their ability and really helping the culture there? That's a great question. I think we, I read a book a couple of years ago that I, the only reason I read it was because the title made me mad. It was, it, the title was called Patients Come Second. I just mm. finished that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I was like, what? This is not okay. Why is someone? And it was written by a hospital executive. Yes. And so I'm like, what does this guy mean? And so I read it and his point was well taken. And that was that if you take great care of your people, they will take great care of the patients. And that's been part of our culture as well. So we've done a lot of things to invest in our people. You mentioned in the introduction, Becky, that when I went through giant leadership training to prepare to lead the company, it was transformative enough for me that we hired our own giant person to actually go through the program with almost all our employees. And we've worked our way through, we're over halfway through about 20 or so go through it at a time. And what's great about giant is it's not a weekend kumbaya moment. It's like an eight or 10 month kind of apprenticeship where you're actually being challenged to change. And so I think people really appreciate that. It's helped put our mission into the correct words. Leadership in culture is words and what they mean. And those words mean the same to everyone in community healthcare when we say them. So that's one thing that we've done. As an independent company, we've often been unable to compete financially with some of the large groups around us. We've worked very hard to improve our just tangible compensation to our pay, to our employees. We've always, and this is something that I cannot take credit for, before I even came into leadership, our company has had second to none benefits for healthcare. Any in a community healthcare employee that gets care within our walls and their family, it's completely written off. So they get free care within our walls and we pay more out of our employees pay less out of pocket for their health care than any company in Northeast Ohio in or out of health care. 
So we do that. The other thing, as far as getting people to feel like they have a purpose at work, to really fulfill our mission, we have to lift people up instead of pushing them down. Um, historically in medicine, it's been more of a patriarchal doctor at the top of a pyramid type model. And we've really instituted team care where medical assistants are really brought up to a level of their licensure where they're actually interacting with patients. They're doing diabetic foot exams. They're ordering mammograms. They're actually participating in care. We have a very innovative nurse practitioner model where our nurse practitioners do a lot of really intensive preventative and chronic care management with our sick patients. We have a, a large team because in order to take care of someone, no one can do this alone anymore. And we have RN care managers in every primary care office that help us with complicated diabetic and heart failure and lung patients. We also have embedded behavioral health. And with the pandemic and so much mental health problems that have just been stirred up by people not being out in the world and staying home, we've seen a huge increase in mental health issues. And so we have embedded in our company behavioral health specialists for that. And we also have transitions actually stationed in area hospitals that greet our patients when they go to the ER or when they get admitted on the floor and reassure them that we know where they are and that we're keeping track of them while they're in the hospital so that we can pick up where the hospital left off when they get out. And so by, by making, by, by really leaning on all of the team to do everything that we can for our patients, it's led to some increased job satisfaction. Yeah. Now with the leadership training, what is the most difficult thing that you found from clinicians moving in to leadership roles? Yeah. And I'm sure you guys can buy with this healthcare most people are in a leadership role because they were good at patient care, not because they're good leaders. The head nurse on a floor in the hospital is just because she was the best nurse most mm -hmm. of the time. Or in my case, I was showing some initiative and seemed like it was a good choice, but no one had any idea if I could <laughs> lead anybody, so, and including myself. I'm like, what am I doing? Am I? So to really be trained and to say, okay, what, who are you? What are your tendencies? How do you develop relationships with people? How do people respond to you? It's really about learning who you are and yourself and your tendencies, learning what your strengths and weaknesses are so that you can both solidify your strengths and to try to address your weaknesses. With physicians, let's face it, we're all control freaks. We all think we know better. It's There's a lot of common personality traits among all of us, and a lot, many of them make us good at what we do, but many of them make us horrible at leadership. And... So our physicians have, and to their credit, a lot of them have taken a lot of steps forward. Many of them, again, great people. I, I love the people I work with, and many of them have amazing qualities. And it's been really cool to see the ones that really have taken to it to say, hey, I want to do even better, and here's the way I'm going to change, or here's how I'm going to address people differently. We have a very a robust management team, and to see some of our management people, again, in healthcare, they've always just been brought up through the ranks because they were just good at patient care, not because they could manage or lead well. And now that they've really understood what the, what it takes to lead or manage, to see some of the steps forward our team has taken and the health of our team has been really fun to see. Yeah, that's amazing. I love hearing you talk about the steps you've taken to just ensure, number one, that your people are taken care of and they 
are all working well together. And then the secondary byproduct of that is really good patient care. I want to just take a second here and highlight a little bit about Giant because obviously you know that I love Giant. <laughs> I went through a similar journey and just was really able to concretely understand a lot more about myself, the tendencies, like you said, just understanding that leadership is something we learn. It's not something that we're naturally good at. It is something that requires intention. It's not accidental. You really have to be in that liberator posture. It takes intentionality. Um, what would you say with the strategy and the way that Giant has been implemented in your facility has been the most beneficial aspect of that? The benefits, I think, have been in a couple of things. One is something really hard in, for people in general, but even for our people, it seemed like the most was having difficult conversations. And a lot of emotion can come into that where, it, it, obviously, and, and of course so, if we have to talk to someone about being better at something that they're not doing well at, that can easily blow up if you don't approach it correctly. And it takes both people being able to put some of that stuff aside and get to the crux of the matter. And what I like about Giant, and I knew this more than me, is the structure of the tools that they have, where you can structure a conversation around a tool. That way you're both looking at that and you're not looking at each other. And so it's it puts you more shoulder to shoulder with someone to say, okay, and it I want to help you with this, not you need to do this or else, and I don't like this. It changes the tone. It allowed, and I think we had, a, if you look at one of the foundational giant tools, the support challenge matrix and yeah. community, if you plotted community healthcare on it, huge protector. Mm-hmm. We were very good at supporting each other, but we were not good at accountability in our leadership. And so it, it created this huge culture of entitlement and some people that knew that they couldn't there would be no consequences for for poor performance. And what we tried to do, look, we don't want to overshoot and make it too dominating, but we also want to move it, move that needle a little bit to where we have healthy accountability. And to our leadership group's credit, I think we've done a pretty good job of that. We were saying a couple of weeks ago, like we were sitting in the room with my admin team and we're like, you know what? Like we could pretty much say anything to each other right now because we're at a healthy place where we know that we're for each other. And so that opens up this whole new level of, okay, I can say something to you that maybe I couldn't have said to someone else because you know that I'm here for you and there isn't, this isn't, you're losing your job. This is, Hey, we got to fix this. And so I think those difficult conversations was a great one. And then just the language, even down to our normal regular folks in the offices and not just our leadership group. We try to focus on three or four key giant tools that we put on big, huge posters in every lunchroom and across the company so that it's front and center and people can remember that language and use it. So I think the language, the leadership language part of giant is really helpful as well. Can you talk about difficult conversations and how close you guys have gotten to the point now? Can you tell us a story of an awkward, difficult conversation you had to have and that you grew from? Yeah. She's almost like my work sister, our COO here. So the founder I mentioned before was very strategic and brilliant in this succession plan. When his team stepped out of leadership, it wasn't One day they walked out and the next day we walked in, we all did a two-year apprenticeship with the person we were succeeding. And many of them were very gracious about it. And and so my team came up together and went through that together. Uh, My COO, her name is Shannon. Amazing. She's been with us for over 25 years. She started as an x-ray tech and worked her way up all the way to an office manager, a district manager. And now she pretty much runs, I always joke like Iron Man, you know how Pepper runs the company and... (laughs) When he just goes and does stuff, that's like us sometimes. Like, 
she's my pep and we've become so close. And one time last year we said, you know what, we need to sit down and have a yearly powwow. And so we structured it around giant tools where we plotted each other on the support challenge matrix. And then I wanted to real, I challenged her to tell me something that I didn't want to hear. And I actually broadened that to my whole administrative team this year. When I do their yearly eval, I want them to evaluate me and tell me something that might be difficult for them to say, but that needs to be, those things that they don't want to say might be the most valuable thing for me to hear in my own leadership. I don't want to become blind to have blinders on to any relationship that I'm not maintaining well, or someone who feels like my leadership isn't helpful for them. And Shannon and I did that for the first time last year. And we're like both almost crying, but like almost laughing and trying not to say anything mean, but saying, huh, like when you, this happened, I wish you'd have done that. And you know what? We both like after processing that, it was one of the like healthiest, mm-hmm. coolest things. Like it really deepened our ability to really collaborate and work well together. But yeah, at the time it was not easy and we both were like really dreading it for a while, but it became a thing that we laugh about now because we're like, you know what, that was really awkward, but it was good. And okay, let's do it again next year, but okay, let's not schedule it yet. Let's hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Now with, if someone is thinking of doing that, especially a clinician and an MD that's been through years of not trying to be wrong because wrong means death and all of that. What is your advice for them to get past this defensive default that sometimes can happen when you're getting that feedback that you don't want to hear? It's just encouraging the vulnerability and saying, look, we all know we're not perfect. And I think the other thing that I think I mentioned a couple minutes ago is just if you can develop a relationship that you're for someone first in giant language, it's support first and then challenge. That was like drilled into me in my training mm-hmm. because the way I'm wired, it's easy for me to snap and say something maybe a little thoughtlessly because I'm wired for tasks and go get this vision on the hill in, in my executive role. And I can plow through a relationship to go get another goal or a task that I'm trying to get. And For me, it was slow down and build rapport before I go into business or what I need to address. And so that's been another thing that we've tried to be intentional with, and that is to build relationships first. You can't just come into someone who you're not really sure about or that doesn't trust you and just go right at, okay, here's what you need to do better. Uh, That's going to really make things worse, to be quite obviously. Building that that rapport first to support and build up and then be able to use the capital you've built with that relationship to, to then say, okay, here's what else I think we need to talk about. And to that point too, it's so natural to be defensive. It's so natural when your your posture is, I have to know everything. That's my expectation of myself. And the pressure is with being a physician is I have to know everything. If I don't have the answer, then how will people view me essentially? So I love what you said about vulnerability, but then understanding the tendencies that can undermine your ability to lead really well in that position of you don't have to know everything. This is why in this role, you have a team of people surrounding you. And especially when it comes to leadership, because it's not something that's taught in medical school, it's take the pressure off. It is okay to step in that space with just understanding, number one, who you are, how you lead yourself. But then that really builds in the communication relationships with other people. Justin, I've talked about this before, and I love it with your story in particular, because for healthy leaders, we know who we are. We know how we thrive, what we do really well. So you are a CEO of a multi-site practice. 
And you just opened a medical spa with your wife, right? So I think I'm like, okay, so he practices medicine. He's really good at business. And like he has the capacity to open up another facility. That takes a lot of brain power, energy, all of these things. Talked about the process of that. So just open conversation about what was your decision making like with that behind that? Oh, gosh, yes. My wife and I's life together has been really funny. We've adopted five kids and we didn't seek any of them. They were all handed to us. So we have this funny thing like how many kids are we getting today? Like the most, the most, the most notice we've ever had for a, a child to come live with us is three days. So we laugh all the time. We're like, okay, what's today going to, what's going to happen today? How many people are going to be sleeping here tonight? It's, and it's, we, I think that's been really helpful for us to keep our brain open to, mm-hmm. Hey, like God's plan for us is way bigger than ours. And yeah. We need to leave our minds open for whatever opportunities come our way. And so from a business standpoint, it was actually a really good friend of mine who actually was a community healthcare doctor that I actually trained with. She is a wonderful, beautiful friend of mine. He is a little bit older than me at a different place in life and closer to retirement. And speaking of burnout, uh, she got there and left primary care, left community healthcare, and about five years ago started a medical spa literally down the street from where I live. She does everything there, Botox, uh, dermal fillers. They have a, all the lasers and bells and whistles and gadgets. And, and it's been, she's built a quiet but loyal following. And then they're at the point where now they're, both of their kids just got married and they really wanted to travel more and step out of that spa as well. So they, they called us and said, hey, crazy question, but do you want to buy the spa from us? And we're like, no, nah, I don't know. <laughs> So I was like, I told my wife, I'm like, look, I don't have capacity to do, go do this, do this. But if you did, I could just show up or, and what's cool about aesthetics in Ohio as well, and nurse practitioners can do everything that doctors can do in aesthetics if they're trained correctly and have the certification. My wife, having been a business owner before COVID, but not after, was wanting a new gig. She was a ballroom dance instructor. That's so why I was, I met her. I was her ballroom dance student in med school. Yeah, the stories are crazy here, but um, <laughs> with, of course, when COVID happened, ballroom dancing went out the window. Mm-hmm. And her students are adults. So she was teaching on nights and weekends, which with five kids in sports and homework and me, my crazy life doesn't mix. So she has, she's not been teaching and she's like, I think I'm ready to do something else outside the home now. And so she's the general manager, runs the spa, takes care of all the employees, does everything. And as of now, it's only been a few months. I do go a couple half time, half days and do some stuff with patients, but I'm in the midst of training a couple of RNs and nurse practitioners who are fantastic that are really excited about doing aesthetics and it's not over time they're going to be the ones taking over the lion's share of the work there but it's been really fun like i just as a side gig like i've always had an interest in aesthetic medicine i've taken some classes over the years and always wondered okay would this be cool at some point to incorporate in my practice or to do something on the side and yeah my my wife is the boss and i am told when to show up and what i'll be doing and love it. It's been fun. Like I said, primary care, when you talk about burnout, I love my patients because I practice in my hometown. I have a ton of people that I've known my whole life that come to me for their care and it's great, but primary care can be heavy sometimes. And aesthetics just feels a lot lighter. People aren't really sick. They're there just for more of a preventative or cosmetic thing and not a really bad illness. So it's been a fun little breath of fresh air on the side. And like I said, that I do not take credit for running all of, I'm the employee in that (laughs) 
No, I love that. And I honestly, I, when I research burnout, part of it is decreased like professional efficacy, but some of it's, I think that when we're doing something for a long period of time, we just need challenged in a different way. So this is using a different part of your brain and it's like a new challenge and it's new excitement. So I think that there's part of us that just needs something new and different to be inspired by the work that we're doing or continuing to do, whatever that looks like. I know, you know, yeah, other clinicians are doing speaking gigs or they're doing some type of side gig because they just have the entrepreneurial spirit and they just need to use a different part of their brain to be inspired with the work that they're doing. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. And I always encourage people, and that's the other thing, like even our employees at community healthcare, like what else do you want to do? Is there something that does really, really tickle your fancy that, that makes you excited. And we send people back to school. We, we, my degree was paid for by the company for business because it was going to benefit community for me to go through that. We have multiple people in advanced degrees right now because they're like, look, I love patient care, but I really have this passion for home health or for care management, or we have a lot of different little initiatives we're developing because we've had people come to us and say, Hey, I like this and I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And so and that, that's, been really- that's a good point too, where you guys are investing in your people, but obviously there's a cost to that. So some yeah. companies don't do that because of the cost and then the fear that those individuals will then go and leave mm-hmm. and now we're mm-hmm. replacing them and we have retention issues. What have you found by investing in your people that's good advice for other companies? You have to make sure that what you're investing in as far as their training can have a return to the company. That's just being, and that's just being responsible with the company's stewarding the company's resources. However, I had a, I love that you brought up retention because I had a huge leadership learning moment just last week. We've had a one particular group of employees in our practice. We've had a little bit of turnover here recently and I was not happy about it. And I, as a leader, you can oftentimes fold into thinking you can control everything. And I was thinking about it and I was so upset. And I actually just went to my predecessor's house one night and just plopped down on his couch. And I'm like, why are these people leaving us? What are we doing wrong? And why I, this is horrible. Like it felt like a doomsday scenario for me. And he said, look, he goes, if these people were leaving to go somewhere that truly makes them happy or to do something bigger or to do something that they love or that they've been called to do, then actually that's a success. Then we actually did our job. Mm-hmm. You don't, because here's the thing, you can't also destroy people's dreams just to retain them in your company. Mm-hmm. What if they went somewhere else and totally changed the world? And that was like, yeah. I was like okay, you just totally blew up my mood and that I needed that. <laughs> yes. Should we be retaining employees? Absolutely. And if they're leaving for things that we need to address, whether it's pay, whether it's culture, whether it's benefits, whether it's management, we need to address that. But if they're leaving because they're called to something higher or something different and we prepare them for that actually is more of a success and it is a total mind shift to think that way. But it was a great way for him to challenge me. And I said, if they leave then for the right reasons, then great. Yeah. Well, we are running up on time. So I'll ask one more question and then I'll let Becky come back as well. What has been the most beneficial thing in the clinician and patient relationship by honing in and teaching the leadership within your company? It's self-awareness to hear our physicians talk about themselves and their strengths and weaknesses and how they could do something different or how they could relate to patients or 
employees or their staff differently. Again, everybody has had a different appetite to learn and get better at this, but the ones that really have taken to it, it's been really rewarding to see that. They are getting more out of their patient encounters because of their awareness of how they are either helping or hurting the situation with their leadership and their communication. So that's been really good to see. Yeah, that's amazing. So my only like final question is with the growth of the organization that you're working with, what excites you headed forward? Because you're in a place where you're all thriving. And I think that people need to see that there's potential for vision of there's organizations mm-hmm. in healthcare that are thriving. So what excites you right now about it? What excites me is just the sheer potential. We have a couple of very strategic partners right now that have a lot more resource than has ever been available to us as an independent organization. So we actually have the ability to dream a little bit. Mm-hmm. And up until now, being smaller and being independent, the resource was only there to help other people and doctors that needed, that wanted to join, but not to be more intentional with saying what communities could really be helped by community health care's medical care. And so the fact that we have an opportunity now with some of these partnerships to be able to supercharge our growth and to help way more people to bring our mission to way more communities, even not even just in our geography here in Northeast Ohio, but throughout Ohio and maybe beyond that just that's as a visionary person that likes to build things and can likes to look at future future innovation that's what really gets me up every day and my job is to say okay how are we going to take another step towards that today and so it makes me really excited from a national level there's a I wish we could have had time to get into this and maybe another time we can but there is a huge underswelling of value-based care taking over the U.S. healthcare system and it cha- it's going to change a lot of things. And to see that it's already happening in our current geography with what we're doing and to also have some contacts in other markets outside Ohio and around the country to see that makes me really excited. Um, and it's more patient centered. It's going to lower the cost of our completely unsustainable medical cost structure in this country. I think the next 10 years are going to be hugely transformative in U.S. healthcare, And it gets me up every day. I love it. There's so much, there's so much positive going on that I think there's going to be some really cool things to talk about. Yeah, no, I love Perfect. that. I think we definitely need to do a part two and talk more specifically about that. Thanks so much for your time, Brady. It's been awesome having this conversation. Yeah, thank you guys so much. yeah thanks so much for having me. This was fun. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on the Leadership Pulse.